Good morning. My name is Melissa. My name is Thomas. Good morning. (laughs) We're reading Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. When they approached Jerusalem and and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! In the highest heaven, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. That's awesome. Good job, Thomas. Thomas. That's good. (laughs) That's amazing. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you came as the king to rescue us and redeem us. We thank you that you're not like the kings of this earth, that you came in humility to reach down to our lowly place to come rescue and redeem us. And so, Lord, would you help us um, to meet you in that place of humility and let you be the one that lifts us up in glory and honor. Lord, guard my words and help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of the scripture. And God, give us all soft and, and teachable hearts now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, here's what we're doing starting today and just for this week. We're doing a little short teaching series called Clash of Kingdoms. If you've been around for the last few months, we've been doing these, uh, the parables of Jesus where we're imagining what the kingdom is like, imagining what it would be like if God was in charge of everything, if Jesus was the Lord and the master of everything. Well, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the kingdom is imagine no more. It's time. It's kingdom time. He's hailed as the king. On Friday, he is enthroned as the king on a cross. And on Sunday, he rises from the dead, victorious and conquering as a king. And so on Good Friday, we're going to look at how the way of the world is to avoid pain and hardship at all costs. And yet Jesus says in his kingdom, pick up your cross and die daily. On Sunday, we're going to look at how the world says, you only live once. But Jesus says, if anyone believes in me, they will live forever. Today, starting with Palm Sunday, because it's right here in the text, our king who is humble and mounted on a donkey, we are going to look at how the way of the world is pride and self-exaltation and Instagram, and the way of the kingdom is humbling yourself and throwing your phone in the lake. So with that said, I want to, I want to just ask a question, and you can, you can help me with this. Have you ever met or spent time with, not just like saw at a distance, but like interacted with someone who was famous or important. It's always nervous. You never know who you're going to, people are going to say. Someone's going to say somebody famous is like, I don't, nobody knows who that is. It's some, some famous, you know, knitter that only you know about or something like that. So anybody ever met somebody or had an interaction with somebody? Who'd you meet? Josh Groban. Groban. Okay. Did you talk with him? You sang in, was he nice? Okay. Well, with a voice like that, how could he not be, okay? 
He sounds like a man. I sound like a middle school girl who needs to stop smoking. Uh, Mark, who'd you mean? Steve Largent. Steve Largent, OK. Famous Seahawk. What was, what was, what was that like? You were so starstruck by Steve Largent. You just sat there in stony silence for 90 minutes. All right, well, now leave my house, Steve. Did he tackle you? Did he? Did he? Okay. I want to know more about that story afterwards. Who else? Anybody else? Yeah, who'd you meet? Who is that? Okay. Yeah, you probably, because you, you work at the theater or sometime, you volunteer, work on there, so you probably get to interact with people who hope they get to meet famous people at the theater. That's good. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, okay. You see, this is what we're, we're coming together as a church community. We're learning things about each other. I don't know who the famous tap dancer is, but your sister in Christ over here does. So, okay. In my world, I've, I've, like, I've played music for my whole entire life, played in bands, and I myself am not like an important or famous musician, but I, I've sometimes gotten backstage passes that get me proximity to famous musicians. So one year, a band I was playing in, um, we got to play this summer solstice festival, and it was a big show, and the headlining act was a band called Puddle of Mud. Have any of you heard Puddle of Mud? Now, I'm just going to go on the record and say, I do not like the music of Puddle of Mud. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to play this show, and then I'm going to leave before they start singing so I don't have to hear it. And um, as I pulled up, they had already finished their sound check, and we got there, and I was in my raggedy, falling apart old uh, Toyota 4Runner, and I started unloading the guitar equipment, all the amps out of the back. And I kid you not, the guys in Puddle of Mud, the lead singer of Puddle of Mud, walked up and goes, hey, do you need any help unloading your amps? It's like, darn it, why did you have to be nice? Like... <laughs> I wanted to have a, a better justification to dislike your music. So yeah, very nice, very nice people. And you, you kind of remember that. Like if you meet somebody important, how are they going to act? How are they going to treat you? I had a different experience also playing in a, in a band. In, uh, this was at a music festival. Got to play at the Gorge. My band was playing on the Nobody Cares side stage. And there was another band that played right after us. And it was like an old dude with his son. He's probably my age now. But at the time, I was like, that's an old dude with his son and the son's friends. So we played at the Nobody Cares side stage. He played at the Nobody Cares side stage. We all end up back in like the cafeteria area where everybody gets to eat together, the famous and the unfamous. Unfamous, is that a word? And so we're sitting down and we have this interaction. He goes, hey, you mind if I sit with you? I'm like, sure, absolutely, come sit down. So we start exchanging names. I'm Aaron, drummer Troy. And he goes, oh, I'm Rick Barton. I was like, oh, first and last name, huh? And I kid you not, this is a direct quote. He goes, you know who I am, right? I mean, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm one of the founding members of Dropkick Murphys. Come to find out, they dropkicked him out of the band because he was so obnoxious. But he, he was, I'm like, you're, you, like, I, for whenever I talk about like pride or humility or any of that kind of stuff, I will never forget that experience. I was like 12 years ago. You know who I am, right? Kind of a big deal. <laughs> like, who says that? When we think about pride, it's rare that we get such a, a kind of a, a, an unvarnished, unfiltered look at that kind of just arrogant pride. But how many of you know that in every single one of our hearts, there, res- there resides a little tiny version of you sitting there thinking, you know who I am, right? I'm kind of a big deal. You, if, if you knew who I was, you would not have left these dishes in the sink. 
If you knew who I was, you would have responded to my email a little bit quicker. If you knew who I was, you would not have pulled out in front of me in traffic. We all have pride in our hearts. Amen? It's a safe place to admit it. And in fact, so much of the world, I mean, I joke about Instagram or whatever, but so much of what social media, it's even funny that it used to be called social networking. Now it's called social media. Why? Because it's a platform to say, please, listen to what I have to say. Look at me. Focus on me. The big idea for today is just simply this. The world just runs on pride. It's fueled by pride. But the kingdom of God has a different fuel. It's the fuel of humility. This kingdom of God and the humility that it contains actually begins with God himself. So before there ever was a world, before there ever was creation, God himself exists eternally in glory. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he displayed his glory. This last Monday, I took a day out of the office to just pray and read my Bible and spend time in nature. And when you spend time in nature without your phone and without the distractions, you can't help but notice that God is glorious. Amen? Sometimes, you know, early, it wasn't so much this morning, but sometimes early driving here on a Sunday morning, get to see the the sunrise coming up over the mountains to the, uh, what is that, the east over there? Like, you just, God is so glorious. So when you think about, you know, the, 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 the depths of knowledge and the depths of understanding and the fine-tuning of the universe, you can't help but think, God is incredibly glorious. He is great. He is exalted. He is high. But yet, at the same time, the Bible tells us that God is lowly and humble. You might think, well, how, how is that possible? Because he's so glorious and he's so great. He's on display. Well, within the character and the nature of God is this desire, is this impulse to lower himself to be near to his creation. I know many of our, our women are just wrapping up this discipleship study going through the book of Exodus. And you think about even how the story of the Exodus begins. It says God went down to see his people. My, one of my favorite verses in the, in the book of Isaiah says, God, I, the Lord, I'm, I you know, dwell in a high and exalted place, but I also dwell with the lowly and the contrite and the humble. That there's this lowliness, this humility within the God who created Jupiter. There's a humility to him. Isn't that just amazing? Now, we see this most fully on display in Jesus. Jesus, fully God, the second person of the Trinity, leaving heaven's glory, taking on flesh, taking on humanity, and coming to show us what God is truly like. And that's the first thing we have to understand about this Savior, Jesus, coming, is that he left heaven's glory. Philippians 2, we read this in our assurance of grace, that though he is in the very nature, the very essence, God, he did not take that equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself and made himself humble. Could you even imagine the bliss and the glory of heaven? Could you even imagine stepping out of that to be born into a humble family in Nazareth? In John chapter 1, they're talking and, you know, Jesus is making kind of a stir and some person asks, so, who is this? And he's like, oh, it's this guy, Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And they, you know, the kind of the famous line and joke in, the, in John chapter 1 is, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like SeaTac or something. I don't know. It's just like, uh, can anything, if you're from SeaTac, God loves you. It's fine. You're, you're going to be okay. 
But the idea that he's born into this humble family, he's not born into a palace. He's not born into you know, a, a, a life of all this power and pleasure and comfort. He's born into humility. His father's a, a, some sort of a construction worker. His mother, because of the virgin birth and the, the pregnancy, she's viewed as some sort of a harlot or at least suspect. He's born into this humility and he lives his earthly life in humility. He lives this humble life. Matthew 8, Jesus is talking. He goes, look, a fox has like a den to sleep in and a bird has a nest it can sleep in, but the son of man, I don't even have somewhere to lay my head. That he lived this earthly life in humility, in obscurity, in this lower sort of position so that he could come and establish this humble kingdom, which is what we're talking about today. Back to Matthew 21. Going back, it says, when they approached Jerusalem... So they're, they're kind of heading toward the big city, but before they get to the big city, they come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. This is like a small community, like a suburb of Jerusalem just off to the east. Imagine that you're trying to get to the big city and then you stop in a suburb. If you could just imagine that, this is like the Linwood of Jerusalem, okay? So Jesus then tells his disciples, he grabs two of them and he says, hey, I need you to go into this village in Bethphage. And when you get there, you're going to find a donkey tied there with her foal untie it, bring them both here to me. And if anyone says anything, just tell them, ah, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So what the scholar Craig Keener calls royal prerogative. If somebody important or royal in this time, in this part of the world, but really most parts of the world, it's like, you better let them use whatever they want. If the, if the U S Senator showed up and said, Hey, I need to borrow your Jeep. You'd let them borrow your Jeep, right? How much more so in this culture? Now also really quick, interesting thought. Uh, donkey. Not just any donkey. A baby donkey. A little young donkey. Uh, Public confession time. I am scared of horses. I hate them. I think they're out to get me. I think I went to a horse camp in my childhood and someone scared me. They said, don't go behind the horse. They'll kick you. You'll die. And I have not gotten over it for my entire adult life. I have a mortgage. I have kids graduating from high school. I'm scared of horses. And if you've ever been around, if you've ever been around like a big horse, like they are impressive animals, are they not? They're, they're mad, like a big horse. And, and see, kings ride big horses. Kings, you, you don't, you know, it's like, uh, it's like the, the, you know, the, the president is in a stretch limo. The king's got a massive stallion. Have you ever been around a donkey? Whose birthday party was it that my parents rented? It was just Cinco de Mayo. It It wasn't even a birthday party. So for a random Cinco de Mayo, my parents rented a little donkey cart thing and all of like my kids and my nephews and nieces, they were still little. We just took donkey rides up and down the road. My neighbor, the the neighbors are looking at my parents like it's insane. And I'm sitting there looking at this donkey I was not scared of the donkey. I was like, I think I, if I fought this thing, I think I could win. I could win. I could defeat this donkey. Not impressive. Here comes King Jesus sitting on a little baby donkey. Like, just let your, like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or sacrilegious. It just looks silly. Just think about how silly it looks. Jesus. Full-grown man entering in as a royal king on a baby donkey. I love it. Now, this all took place, Matthew gives us a little parenthesis, 
This all took place so that what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah might be fulfilled. Zechariah was a prophet that his, his preaching ministry happened after the time of the exile. If you remember the Old Testament, the people of God were warned by some prophets, hey, you need to follow God or you're going to be sent away into exile. Then there were some prophets that preached while they were in exile. There's a few that were on the return. They came back to Israel. They came back to the promised land. But man, things were still just not great. We got to go back to our homeland, but these foreign kings are ruling over us and, and, and Greece and Persia and now Rome. And, and, and Zechariah's this prophet says, hey, take heart. God hasn't forgotten you. He says, you need to tell daughter Zion, there's a king coming. And the way you're going to know is he'll be gentle, or some translations say that, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on actually not just a donkey, on a colt, the, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and they did exactly what Jesus told them. They went and brought the donkey and it's full and they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. And now a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. By the way, they recognized, they, they knew that prophecy from Zechariah. And Jesus is, I believe, just intentionally triggering it to say, I'm that king, I'm that Messiah. And so they know who this is. And they start cutting branches from trees. In the Gospel of John, it tells us they're palm branches. That's why the, the palm, uh, palm Sunday. And they start spreading them on the road. And the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, ready? Hosanna! Th- Thomas did it better. <laughs> Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That word Hosanna, Hoshiana, it's this, it's this word that comes from the Hebrew, like you can see it in Psalm 118, and it's like this cry for rescue. Will you please rescue me? Save us, we pray. But what happened is over the years, over the centuries, that term turned, and it wasn't just a direct cry for help, but it actually became like this confident cry of victory. So it's one of those kind of things where like you're, you're yelling these words that say, save us, we pray, but there's like this confident, celebratory, yeah, we're going to be saved sort of a thing. And they're yelling out, son of David, which is explicit messianic language. This guy is descended from the great King David. He's the one that's supposed to be the king. It's really, really like, like I said, it's, it's no more imagining the kingdom. It's like, oh, the kingdom is happening. It's here. So when he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. By the way, I like it. It says the whole city was in an uproar. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, when the Magi rode into Jerusalem, a Persian war horses, it says that the whole city was in an uproar. Well, here Jesus has the whole city in an uproar on a baby donkey. And they point out, oh yeah, he's Jesus from Nazareth, that humble, rural, backwater town. He's riding a donkey. What is going on? The humility of Jesus is on full display here. But see, this is just the prelude. This is just the moment to signify that Jesus is not done going lower and lower and lower still. Because a few days later, Jesus will be arrested by the religious leaders. He will be tried by the, by the chief priests. He will be taken before Roman governors. He will be beaten and mocked and scourged and whipped and a crown of thorns will be placed on his head. And he will be lifted up on a cross while people mock him and spit on him and say, oh, I thought you were the king of all of the people of Israel. I thought you were the king of the Jews. 
And the ultimate humility that Jesus displayed was lowering himself to the point of obedience to death, even death on a cross. Not just any death. This is the lowest form of death. This is the way that you would put to death slaves and war criminals and scum of the earth and people who are not regarded. And Jesus did that so that we might be redeemed. Our humble king didn't just ride into town on a donkey. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. This is ultimate humility. This is cross-shaped humility. This is cruciform humility. He, he, he lowered himself. He could have demanded everything. He could have ridden into town and said, the king is here, you kneel, you bow before me. But in this moment, he descended into the grave. He lowered himself. And on the cross, his humility, he demonstrated his humility by taking responsibility for our sins. There is no reason why Jesus should have been punished on the cross. He did nothing wrong, nor was there ever any deceit found in his mouth. You know who deserves the punishment on the cross? Me and you. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took responsibility for something that was not his to serve us in humility. And he, he served us. He really served us. Like in a way that we really, really needed. You and I could not free ourselves from sin. You and I could not do enough good works to restore right standing before God. We couldn't do it. We were in slavery to sin. We sang about that earlier. We're hopeless. We're trapped. And Jesus served us in humility to do something that we couldn't do for ourselves. And what I love is that the Bible tells us that his humility, it wasn't just some show. It came from a genuine heart of love. For God so, what? The world? Loved. This world, the people, that he gave his one and only son. He treasured us. He cared for us. He valued us. Friends, this is what true humility looks like. It's found in the person of Jesus. And so if you're seeking to pursue humility, well, the, the, the starting point is by repenting of yourself, humbling yourself in repentance and trusting in this king. This is the one. This is the one that I want to serve. This is the one that I want to, I want to follow because unlike the other kings of the world, it, you know, Jesus does make demands. We're going to get to things in a minute here, but, but the starting point of his kingdom is I will come in humility and serve you. And as we are saved by Jesus, we've repented of our sins, we've trusted in his death and resurrection, well, then God begins to transform us to be more like him, huh? We start to be able to do things like take the lower station, Take the lower station. <laughs> Had those experiences where like at a, there, um, like a church small group year, many years ago, there was this one person that like every time we'd sit down to have a meal, would just always literally just push, literally push to the front of the line and just start eating first. And I was like, man, that is just, stop. This morning we served breakfast for all the volunteers and this morning we were kind of running a little bit behind and I literally just pushed to the front of the line and served myself breakfast first. I just need to confess that. Uh, <laughs> 
right? You start to be able to take the lower station. Hey, I don't need to be first in line. I don't need, to, I don't need the, you know, the front seat of the car. I don't need the whatever it might be. I don't need to put, you know, put so many things on, on Instagram and selfies about me and all that. Like you can just start to say, I can take a little bit more of a back seat. When we grow in Christ-like humility, we are, we're able to take responsibility for things. Instead of saying like, oh, well, you know, there's two sides to every coin. Well, you just think this way. You can just say things like, man, I was wrong. I'm really sorry. Oh, oh, you can even take responsibility sometimes for things that maybe you didn't even necessarily do. Like foster care is serving and helping take care of somebody and taking a responsibility that you didn't, you didn't cause. I mean, heck, just parenting in any way, shape, or form. Any of you who have ever had kids know that sometimes kids break things that aren't even yours? They're like your neighbor's things? I'm not asking anyone to throw anyone, you know, under any buses or anything like that, but walking over to a neighbor and be like, hey, that baseball that shattered your window, yeah, that, that, that thing has my DNA in it. I'm sorry, I'll pay for the window, right? Taking responsibility, is a, it's an act of humility. Humility, as we grow in Christ-like humility, we start to be able to serve those around us. Genuinely serve. Hey, let me help you. Let me serve you. Not looking to be served, but to give and to serve. And, and, and here's the most important part. If it's real, genuine, Christ-like humility, it's not going to come from a heart and a motivation of wanting to look humble. It's going to come from a heart and a motivation of love. Love for God and love for others. How many of you know there is such a thing as false humility? This false humility, of, oh, I'm just so humble. I'm just, look at, look at, how, hum, look at, look at how humble I am. Look at, look at me, look at how humble I am. Like, I'm so humble. I rarely do anything for myself. I just serve everyone all the time. I'm so humble, I'm so humble. Oh, no, 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 you, you go first. I would love to just be humble publicly. I have a friend, I have a friend who, <laughs> he got vanity license plates on his truck. It literally said, I am humble. And it was a joke but he eventually had to get the license plates changed because people didn't get the joke. I thought it was hilarious. People come up and be like, bro, I need to talk to you. Like, you have an issue here. He's like, it's a joke. It's like that public displays of humility kind of negates it. The point is, you just, you're not concerned with getting the credit. You're not concerned with getting the pats on the back. You're not concerned with, everyone, oh, I love how much you serve and how humble you are. It's just, I just love what God's done in my life. I love the people around me. I'm serving in humility. Now, I want to pause and I want to take a very sharp left turn. Because I don't want to talk about humility anymore. I want to talk about glory. And you might say, well, Aaron, that's very weird. It's not, though, because it's right here in the text. And I have a concern that I want to address whenever we talk about humility, okay? Glory. Glory. I already mentioned at the beginning that God himself is glorious. But look at the glory of Jesus on display. Go back to our passage. It's skipping around a little bit. When they approached Jerusalem, they came to <coughs> excuse me, Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent the two disciples. What's he doing there? He's exercising authority. He's giving instructions. He says, go in the village. And so skipping ahead, verse six, the disciples went and did. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. So there's an exercise of authority here that Jesus is doing. Now, I also, more than ever before, I mean, I've preached many Palm Sunday services in my life. Never before, I was so struck 
at the irony of humble and mounted on a donkey while being the literal center of attention at a giant parade. I don't know why it struck me so much this week. The crowd, a very large crowd, is throwing their literal clothes on the road. Others are cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. It might seem a little bit strange to us, but we wave foam fingers at sporting events or vuvuzelas or whatever, so who are we to judge? They're literally throwing things like Marshawn Lynch with Skittles. They're just, they're chucking stuff. And the crowd who went ahead of them, they're all shouting. They're like, that guy's royalty. He is the son of David. He is the rescuer. They're making this huge stinking deal. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, all of that to me is kind of this interesting juxtaposition with this idea of him being humble. If Jesus is the humble king, then true humility can't be opposed to some of the things that we're seeing in this passage. And I see three things in this passage that Jesus is displaying his glory in humility. The first one is Jesus knows his identity. He knows who he is. He is the son of David. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the long-awaited Messiah. If, if I was trying to put maybe kind of modern terminology to it, it's something like Jesus, Jesus has a, 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 a correct self-esteem, if you could say it that way. I know it's stretching it a little bit, but Jesus knows who he is. He knows his identity. He knows who his father is. He knows his mission. He knows where he comes from. He knows what he's doing. The second thing that I see here is this idea of him receiving honor. He's receiving praise and blessing from people. They're shouting his name. They're celebrating who he is. They're extolling his virtues. They're really glad that Jesus is here doing what he's doing. There is honor that Jesus is displaying. And the third one is authority. Now, we know that Jesus has authority over all things, but very directly in the story, we see that he has authority over his disciples. He's giving them commands. He's giving them instructions. Now, if I was to pull up these three words and these three concepts, I don't know if you're anything like me, as I'm meditating on it this week, it really struck me how these are not words that we like to talk about when we talk about humility. In fact, when we talk about humility, some of us might actually feel a little bit about things like honor or authority. I'll give you two examples. Um, when I was younger, like let's say maybe in my 20s, I started preaching more and teaching more, and I was leading worship a lot more. And when you spend time kind of up in front of people like this, you will inevitably get the people that will come up to you and say, hey, great job. You did such a good job. Oh, such a good message. Oh, you did such a good job leading worship. I don't hear it as much as I used to. I don't know what's going on, but no, I'm just kidding. But, but people come up to me. Now, when I was younger, I would really struggle with that because I know my own pridefulness. And so I would say things like, no, 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 it's, it's just Christ in me. No, I've got nothing good in me. It's just, it's just Jesus. My wife heard a pastor make a joke about like, oh no, my sermon, it was just God. It was all God. And the pastor said, if it was all God, your sermon would have actually been a lot better. So, <laughs> but I would say these sorts of things because like, I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be, I don't want to be arrogant. Oh no, 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 it's just Jesus. And over the years, I had some mentors and some people say, hey, you know what you could say instead? Thank you. <laughs> oh, I guess that's okay. If someone wants to give me a word of encouragement, Anybody else kind of experienced something like that? Like, no, 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 it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. 
Well, hold on a second. God made you. God gave you gifts. It's okay for someone to give you that kind of honor. Second example, I have a a good friend who spent time in ministry under some really uh, just unhealthy, domineering church leadership, some abusive church leadership. And as part of kind of the healing process and trying trying to follow Jesus, I've heard this friend make some pretty extreme statements like, this is a quote, well, Jesus was never served. He only ever served. He never was served. He just, he washed people's, you know, disciples' feet. Yeah, he did wash disciples' feet, but did he not exercise authority? And literally, we just read the passage. He gave instructions and said, I'm in charge. Please go do what I say. My favorite leadership verse from the Lord Jesus is when the disciples are rowing in the boat and fighting against the wind and the waves and says that Jesus was asleep on the cushion. It means there was one cushion and Jesus took it. I love that. You might ask, why am I belaboring this point? Here's here's the reason why I'm belaboring this point. This is my opinion, my perspective as one of the pastors of Sound City Bible Church. I rarely see in this church community, if ever, do I ever see Rick Barton-esque displays of arrogance. You all are genuinely such a gracious and humble group of people. Um, One of the groups that I get to work the closest with is all of like our musicians. And I don't know if you know this, uh, sometimes musicians have been known to have egos. I can say with like such sincerity, like we have such humble musicians in this church. Nobody's up here trying to like show off and impress, just want to serve the church and have a good time. So many of you serve in the kids ministry, people showing up early, making coffee. You're drinking coffee right now that someone you don't even know made. Well, you may know them, you just don't know who did it today. There's so much genuine humility in this church. I really mean that. However, Sometimes in the broader Christian world and in sometimes in our church, because we don't want to be prideful, we don't want to be arrogant, so to pursue humility, we almost can get rid of some of these aspects and go into this kind of like shrinking back, oh, no, 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 I never, oh, I couldn't, oh, I couldn't. And friends, I'm here to tell you that as image bearers of God, These things are true about Jesus in the ultimate sense, but they are also true about us. We have an identity that is image bearer. Image bearer. The most powerful kingly war horse is not a bearer of the image of God. The angelic beings in all of their supernatural splendor and glory are not bearers of the image of God. Look around this room. You are bearers of the image of God. Well, no, no, I'm just, I'm dust. Yeah, you are dust. That has the breath of God breathed into it. Holy smokes. Like, like, sit up a little straighter for crying out loud. Like, you're an image bearer of God. Oh, no, no, I'm not, no. Do you you know what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like this pursuit of humility that almost makes us avoid things like identity or, or honor. You have honor. 
the, the psalmist in Psalm 8 says that God made us a little bit lower than the heavenly beings, but he clothed us with glory and honor. Look at all these glorious people around you. Well, but I'm, but I'm a sinner and my, my glory's been tarnished. Yeah, for sure. But that's why Christ came to die, to begin to redeem you back into the image of God that you were meant to be, glorious and resplendent and radiant and, and honorable and praiseworthy. That's why I can stand up here and, and, and praise and honor David and Norma for, man, they did such a good job loving and serving this church. No, 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 it was just Christ doing those budgets. No, you, like him working in you. We're unique in all of God's creation with honor and glory. And you have authority. When God made the man and the woman, he placed them in the garden and he said, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And what is the word, Sound City? Subdue. It's the same word that's used when a king would conquer a city, go out into this good but wild creation that God has made and exercise dominion and authority over all things, not as ultimate owners like God is, but as stewards. We're stewards. Friends, I belabor this point because true humility is not diminishing these things. It's acknowledging that I am both dust and I am made in the image of God. Now, if you forget one or the other, yeah, you can swing into this arrogant pride sort of thing, but if you forget the other, then you can swing into this lowly, uh, it's not humility, it's, it's something else. It's a false humility. You are uniquely made in the image of God and you have gifts and strengths and abilities that God wants to use through you in a humble way for the building up of the body of Christ. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 12. He says, I think that every one of you needs to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, right? Don't think, let's not be prideful. Let's not act like, oh, I'm, I'm the best whatever. But, but think with a, a sober discernment, like a, like a realistic self-portrait, who you actually are. And then he says, because God has actually given each of you a measure of faith. And just like in one body, we have many members and not all the members do the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members who belong to one another and we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. God gave you gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not built up by your arrogant pride, but the body of Christ is also not built up when you shy away from the good gifts that God has given you. True humility embraces who we truly are as redeemed image bearers. True humility embraces the identity and the honor and the authority that God has given us as redeemed image bearers. You are dust, but you're made in the image of God. You are sinful, more sinful than you even could know, but you are deeply loved by God. You have all sorts of weaknesses and shortcomings and flaws, but you have some real potent gifts that the Spirit has given to you for the building up of the body of Christ. 
And one day, we will get to experience that glorification with Jesus. Paul says it in Romans chapter 6, we were buried with him by baptism into death. Like we had to take that humble road. We followed Christ in the pathway of humility. But it was so that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Oh, buddy. See, the humble king rode into town, humble mountain on a donkey, lower still onto the cross, lower still into the depths of the earth. But the gospel message doesn't end there because on that Sunday morning, he walked out of the grave, glorious, raised imperishable, forever conquering over death. And you and I who put our faith in him, that's our future too. But it all starts with the pathway of humility. So you want to live in this humble kingdom? The first thing you got to do is you got to humble yourself in repentance. If you're here today and you've never humbled yourself in repentance, you've never come before God and said, I am sinful and needy and broken, would you please forgive me and heal me and welcome me into your family? The arms of God are wide open for you today. That's where he, that's where he hangs out with the humble and the lowly. You're not going to climb the ladder to get to God. Humble yourself. That's where he's at. And for those of you who have, by God's grace, become Christians, you've already been saved, you've trusted in Jesus, well, guess what? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Every day, that little prideful part of you that just says, no, I was right. If you knew who I was, I'm kind of a big deal. Every day, ask Jesus to just kill that part of you. Repent. Number two, when you do that, receive Christ's honor and glory. Let him be the one that lifts up your head. Let him be the one that exalts you. Let him be the one that says, you are so precious to me, made in my image. Let him be the one that says, I have given you such cool gifts. Does God say rad? God's like, I've given you rad gifts. That's how I hear the voice of the Lord saying that. Receive his honor and glory. And then know, learn about how the Spirit has gifted you. That, that sober assessment, that, that realistic portrait. Okay, maybe I'm not the best at that. Maybe I'm not the best at that. But you know where God really has gifted me and how I could serve and how I could help build up the body? Learn that about yourself. And then lastly, put those gifts to use to build up the body of Christ. Some of you today need to not leave before you've signed up to serve somewhere in this church community to use the gifts, the abilities that God has given to you to build up the body of Christ. Some of you are saying, yes, this is my church. This is my, my people. Are you using your gifts for the building up of others in humility and in love? Let's pray together. God, I ask, God, I ask that you would put our pride to death. Lord, each time that we're tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, would you, by your Holy Spirit, root that out of us? But also, Lord, help us to not swing wildly into this other ditch of, of shrinking back and, and, and declining the, the honor and the authority that you have entrusted to us. Lord, help us to live as redeemed image bearers. And even now, Lord, as we come and prepare to eat and to drink at the table of the Lord, I pray 
that this would be a time where we could be humbled before you, knowing that we need this grace, this redemption, but also let this be a time where you are the lifter of our heads, that we're invited to come to the table with our humble king. It's in his name we pray. Amen.